So Money episode 298, Emma Johnson. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Well, ahead of introducing today's wonderful guest, I have to quickly share with you the charity fundraiser and competition that's going to be going on all month here at So Money, the entire month of November, in tandem with a charity fundraiser forward slash competition going on with Joe Saul Sihai's podcast, Stacking Benjamins. And to tell us all about that, I brought on Joe. And Joe, here you go. What, take the mic. You, you invited me onto this little fundraiser of yours, and I'm I'm excited, but also a little nervous. Farnoosh, I'm way excited that we're doing this together. You know, uh, we can raise a bunch of money for charity. And I love this at the end of the year with Thanksgiving. For people in the United States, we end the month of November with uh, Thanksgiving. And I thought, what a great way for our community to help another community that might need it. So we are going to be raising money for the Texas 4000, which is a 4,000 mile bike ride that University of Texas students take to raise money for cancer research and and cancer-related causes. Uh, I know that they give a lot of money to MD Anderson Hospital, one of the premier uh, cancer treatment clinics in the United States in Houston, Texas. And then they also give it to worthwhile uh, research facilities around the nation. So we're going to be raising money at, at, at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Texas 4000. And it's cool because our organization, Farnoosh, has a lot in terms of where the money goes, a lot in common with who you're raising money yes. for. Talk about that for a minute. Well, thank you. That was a nice transition. So uh, I have chosen, our team here at So Money has chosen the largest student-run philanthropy in the world, near and dear to my heart as well, because I was a part of this when I was in college. It's the Penn State IFC Panhellenic Dance Marathon. It's affectionately known as THON, and it's a year-long effort to raise money and awareness for the fight against pediatric cancer. It's raised over $125 million for the Four Diamonds Fund at Penn State Hershey Children's Hospital. And next year's THON 2016 is what we are fundraising for now. And that will be taking place February 19th through the 21st. It's a 46-hour dance marathon. I did it and I survived. It was uh, life-altering. But of course, it's for an amazing tremendous and important cause. Thon.org forward slash so money. Thon.org forward slash so money is where you can go to contribute. I know it's high season for canning and this is a way to join in on the fun. Anything you can do, know that it will be well spent. Over 95% of funds go to the families. That's so great. And the rider that we're riding for, uh, who's riding in the Texas 4000, her name is Shelby Schreiber. Her father was a single dad raising her Farnoosh. And when she was in high school, he started feeling bad, went to the doctor. It turned out he had terminal cancer and he passed away when she was just in high school. Hmm. So here she is without a dad. And now she decided she's going to ride this 4,000 mile bike ride in honor of him. And they spend no money on the bike ride. Uh, all the food along the way, all the housing along the way is donated. So I love these organizations, yeah. but stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Texas four zero zero zero. And I hope together we can raise a lot of money. I think we will. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. 
right now, today's guest is a longtime business and personal finance journalist and friend. Emma Johnson is the founder of Wealthy Single Mommy. It's a website dedicated to professional single moms where Emma shares advice and discusses topics like career, money, parenting, and so much more. She also recently launched her own podcast, Like a Mother with Emma Johnson, which was named by US News as a top 15 personal finance podcast. Emma also has her own video course, How Not to Be a Broke single mom. Love it. Three takeaways from my interview include, well, how not to be a broke single mom in this country and how she's become an advocate for so many single moms. We also talk about the power of intention and the importance of thinking big and the controversy with encouraging people to earn more. Here is Emma Johnson. Emma Johnson, welcome to So Money. I cannot wait to dive into all that you're doing, helping single moms, one video, one podcast, one blog post, one course at a time. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I think a lot of my listeners are where you were at, working, a journalist, wanting more, but wondering how to get to the other side. And so talk about your journey to helping specifically single moms out there with their money. Why did you want to make this your, your niche? Well, I've been a journalist my whole career. I have this old school newspaper journalist coming out of college and, and then became a full-time freelance business and, and personal fun, personal finance writer for many years. And I had this really great run and I enjoyed that. I loved working for myself, not having a boss. And then, well, seven years ago, I became a mom and I was just kind of living the dream. I had this nice husband and he was also a journalist and we were doing well for ourselves. We both were raised by single moms, uh, professional single moms. And I think that was one of the big things that drew us together. We kind of had these, I would say each of us had a tumultuous upbringing, raised by single moms, struggled financially. Neither of our dads were really in the picture. Um, and then we found each other and we're going to do it, right? We were going to not be like that. We we're going to get married. We're going to have our babies. We're going to own our homes, you know, just do everything you're supposed to do. And we did it. And it was extremely satisfying to be able to accomplish that. But unfortunately, that was not the long-term path for us uh, or for me. And our lives sort of unraveled, very much unraveled. I mean, my daughter, my oldest was uh, just one years old and we had a big tragedy in our family. My husband had an accident and suffered a brain injury, and our total course changed. So at that moment, I was um, had scaled my business way back. I think I had a nanny for something like 12 hours a week and was really focused on my kid. My husband made all the money. He had a corporate job. He made great money. He had all these great benefits, and I was you know, part-time worker, a lot stay-at-home mom, to be honest. And I just knew based on what was going on, like sooner or later that I had to get it together. Our marriage was falling apart. He, his long-term employment was not sustainable. And I honestly, looking back on it, I don't know where I found the strength to do it, but I was having a second baby. I had a baby. I was dealing with my husband with a brain injury and I got my act together and I just started making way more money than I ever had before because I had no choice. Like no one else was going to be bringing in this money because that was it. Like I was the only income potential in the family and it was a horrible time, but there was a silver lining in that it was very satisfying to be able to do that. I experienced a whole lot of professional success, but it was also kind of like okay, I didn't have my plan A to have the successful traditional marriage wasn't working, 
But the plan B was like, I was going to be a financially autonomous single mom, which I did not grow up with. And that was just like, whoa, that was just such a satisfying experience for me, empowering experience. And so coming out of that, I started to look around and I saw so many awesome single moms, like these professional women that were doing awesome stuff in their careers. They were raising beautiful children, dating, figuring out dating, you know, just like living these interesting lives, really fulfilling lives, but struggling to navigate this world because no one else was talking about it, right? Like no one was having these, like we were, I was having. Yeah. When you think of single moms, uh, you don't think necessarily financially empowered. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't. And there was just no role model out there. So in the media, like I would know because I'd always be digging around about these successful women that are, you know, that's what we're talking about, Farnoosh. Like that's why you and I have career savings. Like this is such the topic of the moment, the whole lean in, mm-hmm. figuring out these finer points of feminism. Women making more. A lot of single moms are head of household. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And so we're talking about this, but no one ever leads with, I'm a single mom. They might be a single mom. They might be a divorced mom or single mom by choice or whatever, but they never introduce themselves as that. And that's fine. I don't think they have an obligation to. But for those of us that are out there kind of floundering around figuring out this world, we need some role models. We need some kind of leadership and somebody to help us. So I started this blog. It was sort of a whim. It's wealthysinglemommy.com. And I thought, well, I'll talk about personal finance because that's my jam writing and single moms. And I'll talk about money and moms. And it just kind of took off right away, which I think is a great business lesson. I really just listened to the audience. I was like, okay, there's something special going on here. And the media immediately started calling like the Times featured me like right away and the traffic was great right away. I'm like, okay, all right, there's something really awesome here. And I just went with it. Like I just went with my passion, which was beyond money. I think I was getting bored with writing about money, but I wrote about money and career, writing about my kids. And then I started writing about dating and sex, which really has become, I've come to find out really my passion. I love writing about uh, sexuality and relationships. And the more I wrote, the more people were like so interested in what I had to say. My following just kind of took off and I just wrote it. I'm still writing it. It's been three years. I mean, the Times wrote about it right away. And what were the topics that you thought? So you said you were listening to your to your readers. What were the questions that they had that you were answering that were coming up most commonly? Well, on the money side of it, the question is always like, I'm broke. How can I not be broke? And it is true. I mean, you cannot deny the fact that people coming out of divorce, men and women are going to have less money than you had when you're married. If you're a billionaire and you give up half of your billion dollars in your divorce, you are poor. That is just a basic fact of it. But the real thing that's going on is people feel poorer. And there are no messages out there about how you don't have to be poor. Like you, to your point, there's, it's all about single motherhood equals welfare mom. That is what is in the public national culture mentality. But it doesn't have to be like that. And so a lot of what I do is helping women get out of their own way. We are living in the richest country in the world, arguably, in a time of unprecedented opportunity for women. There's never been more economic opportunity for women, including divorced moms. So it's about looking at all these opportunities, figuring out what your hangups are inside, pushing those out of the way, getting the support that you need, and then just going out there and kicking ass. How do you reconcile childcare costs with all these opportunities that are out there? Maybe it doesn't pay 
everything, including your ability to leave your kid at daycare or have a a, a nanny or any sort of um, childcare arrangement. That seems to be the biggest financial headwind for, for families, but particularly, I think, single parents. Absolutely. Because as, as an aside, I have been really shocked and disappointed to find out how prevalent the absentee father epidemic is across all demographics. Like I'm living in New York City where people are very progressive and there's, I think, a lot of social pressure that positive social pressure that, you know, families do 50-50 custody and very involved fathers. Guys are just not stepping up. And to your point, that puts in just a huge burden on single moms who are struggling financially, coming right out of divorce, and then have to face that. So what I tell them is sometimes you just have to make an investment. If this means you can't look at your financial picture, just what your bills and your income are this month. You have to look at it big time and long term. And sometimes that means making an investment. So maybe that means that you pay more for a nanny over a daycare because it affords you the flexibility that allows you to go to school or to attend after work events that are really going to propel your career forward. So it's making small investments, including in childcare, in order to make big wins professionally. But in order for women to get be able to do that, they really have to make a mental switch. So one is getting over this idea that they have to spend so much time with their kids. Like one of my most favorite statistics and telling statistics is a couple years ago, Pew, Pew Research folks, uh, they did the survey of American families and they found that 40% of Americans, 40% of Americans believe that it is harmful to children when their mothers work outside of the home. Ugh. <laughs> right? Oh my God. Who, who did course, that? A bunch, like, of, a bunch of men did that survey. <laughs> I don't care who did it, but I think it's like hearing me and share, I share that all the time because it just, I feel like smacks women into clear vision about their own hangups. There is such a uh, pressure on all of us to be stay-at-home moms. We really believe as a culture that the stay-at-home mom is a better mom. And so when you're a single mom, like you have, you're, like you're not going to be a stay-at-home mom. Like you are going to work. You have to work. And you're probably going to have to work more than if you were married or there's going to be less parent time with the kids if you're married, right? So instead of like your husband being there when the kids get after school, if you have to work late, now it might be a babysitter or an after school program for your kids. So that is a very, very bitter pill for many women to swallow. And I really like ladies follow me because I write about this all the time. It's about recognizing that women were never stay at home moms that just only nurture their children's frontal lobe. That is like, that never existed in history. Women have always been financially critical to their families, whether they're working in the fields, running a house that was actual labor because we didn't have like espresso machines and dishwashers and washing right. and dryers. Like they were busting their hums and the kids were just playing on their own or maybe when exactly. they're exactly like right, they're nursed by grandma or an aunt. I mean, depending on who, on whose survey you're reading, I've read surveys that show that we're spending more time with our kids today as working parents than our parents spent with us. If we, even if we had a stay at home parent. And the fact is if, if you're a parent in your home and you're in, it's the fifties, if your kids are in school, you're home doing doing your work, you know, and you're seeing them the, just as many hours in the day and it's not necessarily quality time. I think that maybe one of the emphasis the emphasis now I think with working parents is that when we do spend time with our kids, we make we try to make the most of that time. And so in some ways it's more it's better than what it was than maybe 30 years ago. 
Well, especially if you're working at a career that you're successful at and you enjoy and you can come home feeling like you killed it that day. You feel awesome about yourself. You can go home and tell your kids about your work. My kids are little. They're five and seven. And for as long as I can remember, they ask about my day. And I just tell them. I'm like, I had a meeting. I talked to a brand. I did a podcast with this cool chick for news. And they're interested. Like, I will play them this interview and they're interested in what I have to do. And they're proud of me. And I feel awesome about what I did all day. Well, I'm proud to be speaking with you too. And let's let's talk about your financial philosophy, Emma, as you have been building this business as a single mom yourself. What would you say is your money mantra? <laughs> my money mantra. Um Oh my goodness gracious. Am I supposed to prepare for this? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I don't, I didn't bother sending you the questions cause I mean, you live and breathe this, but I mean, if there's, if there is a saying that you like, if there's a voice in your head when it comes to money that you listen to, what is it telling you? The money mantra, I would say think big, think big. Mm-hmm. Uh, for myself, I definitely tell myself that and that, and I tell other women that all the time. Uh, part of that is surrounding yourself with other successful people, uh, positive people who also think big. Um, I know that coming through my divorce, I often talk about one of my best friends, Morgan, and she was going through her divorces at the same time. She, her, our kids are the same age. And she was building from scratch a law firm. And now I think she has three associates. She's just killing it. And we talk business all the time, way more than we talk about our kids. And she's thinking big. I was thinking big. We really just you know, we support each other logistically, but it is more just like helping each other get out of our own way. Right. Like I could be stuck writing personal finance articles and that was a great career, but that's, I, I'm, there's something bigger out there for me. And it's the same with women, especially if you're living in a place, maybe a small town, like I grew up in a small town in the Midwest where people maybe are not thinking big, right? It's very hard to get yourself out of your situation. If people around you are working retail or, or stay at home moms and you feel socially ostracized, but the beauty of the world we're living in is that they can tune into your podcast podcast for our news and listen mm-hmm. to people doing awesome things. There are so many online communities that support entrepreneurial women, professional women, uh, where you just, people want to support you and you can just benefit by that in such big ways. You and I both interviewed Kim Raluna, who mm. is an example of that, you know, sing, not a single mom, but just a mom of three living on welfare at one point, her husband worked at FedEx and she was not working and they were poor by, you know, they were, let's be honest. I mean, three kids, one income, uh, which is a probably not a very big income. She took every single bit of information, resource, help that was free on the internet. But they actually also took out a $5,000 credit card and mm-hmm. maxed it out. And she just bought a bunch of online courses to teach herself how to become an online marketer. And she now, of course, the, she's gone on to become very successful, almost a million dollars in sales in one year. She's moved her family to New York from California to improve their lives and to be more, uh, just to be closer to, to <laughs> the media, I suppose, and all of the uh, relationships she's made. But uh, you can do it. That's the bottom line. You can, you can do, it. do it. And she's, I mean, she's got such an awesome following. And I think it's because she's just like, F it. Like you look at her, she's 27. She's got blue hair. She's got piercings mm-hmm. all over her place. I just was at an event because I live in New York too. And she's like, 
at the event, killing it. Everyone's just so charming. And then she's like nursing her baby. And she's just herself. She just does not force herself into a mold. And her story, right, is that she went from welfare to a million dollars in sales in like a year. Yeah. So, you know, and I think she was smart. She was strategic. She was passionate about it. But she took risk. And she invested, right? She invested so much time. One of the things I took away from her interview was that she just became obsessed with online marketing and she just lived and breathed. She listened to everybody's podcast. She'd watch hours and hours of videos, you know, online tutorials. And she just decided to do it and she did. Yeah, she was consistent about it. That's, I think, one of the uh, the, the tricks to it. You know, you just have to keep at it. It's easy to get overwhelmed and just stop midway, but somehow she, I think it was all those late night feedings when you're up (laughs) (laughs) you want to do something. Um, so, okay. So think big, tell us a little bit about yourself, Emma, growing up, what was your, uh, foray into the world of finance as a kid? Like, do you have a money memory that kind of shaped and molded you a little bit? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it was partly that my family, but also just the time and place that I grew up in where like kids worked. We always had allowances. My mom and her, to her credit, we always had weekly allowances and we, it was very clear what we were responsible for paying for. And it both increased as we grew older and we always had jobs. Like I babysat when I was really little and Midwesterners out there, you'll know what I'm talking about. When I say my first job, when I was 12, I detasseled corn, which is one of the most hellacious jobs you'll ever have. I don't, I don't think it's legal for children to do it anymore. Actually, <laughs> I don't no, think I'm, 12 I'm is legal to do anything. Maybe just babies. It was labor. It was farm work. <laughs> and we all did it. Like all my friends, it was fun. You get up at the crack of dawn and you go out and work, literally work in the cornfields. That was it. But I don't, yeah, I think you're an East Coast girl. So, but all my Midwestern people out there will know exactly what I'm talking about. And it was just like you made your own money. It was like definitely this work ethic. And I try to instill in that in my kids. And it's a different world that we're living in. One, I live in the city. You know, I live in an apartment. And I don't think my, I don't know if my kids even remember what a cornfield looks like from our visits back home. But uh, it's, you know, it's a different time and I feel like I'm constantly bucking parenting trends, which is, I think the trend is like, do everything for your kid. And I don't want to do everything for my kid. Like they need to do it themselves. Plus I don't want to do it. Right. Like the chores around the house or whatever. So, um, yeah, I would say that's a very early money memory. Like I always had a job in the summers, um, as in high school, all through the school year, I like worked at movie theaters and restaurants, pizza hut. Well, I have to say that now as an adult, this concept of earning more as your solution to financial freedom came very naturally. Whereas I think for others, it's not an easy, uh, it's not as convincible because we often talk about saving, right? As the vehicle to financial freedom. But this concept of trying to earn more, I actually had a guest on my show, Ryan Holiday. I mean, I don't know if you know who he is. Yeah, I met him. Yeah, so I was like, Ryan, why is our culture so you know, uncomfortable when it comes to talking about earning more money, earning more money. He's like, because it's a little elitist, to be honest with you. You know, it's, it's not something that everybody can really do. And I was like, but they can, you know, maybe I'm just a little too optimistic and I'm, I have high aspirations for everybody, regardless of class, race, gender, economy. You know, I just feel like if there's a, there's a resource out there and it's free, Everybody has access to it and everybody has equal opportunity as a result. And if, you know, there's a way for you to learn something and then turn that into a skill and then turn that into revenue, I don't think that's, that discriminates anyone. But I mean, what do you think about that? Do you find in your work that when you talk to people about earning more, you get, you get 
people rolling their eyes. Well, right, because that's the culture is like clipping coupons, like saving, like because a part of it is easier, right? If you're saving, you know, two dollars on frozen pizza, you know exactly. There's no risk. There's no question about what's going to happen. You're going to clip that coupon out of the Sunday paper, take it to your grocery store, and you will save $2 on frozen pizza. But if you start a business, and let's say like Kim or Luna, you take out a $5,000 credit card, which you really can't afford, there's huge risk. That is just huge risk, tons of unknowns, and it's very, very scary. Or you spend a year building a blog or a digital product or, or start opening a retail store, whatever. That's tons of time and tons of money that you have no guarantees of having a return on. So I think that's part of it is that discomfort with risk. Um, and then it's also our culture, which is very quickly changing, which is the idea. I think we're still stuck in this like 50s, 60s mentality of like the corporate culture where you get, somebody else tells you what you can make. and and you know what you can make. Like, you know what the pay scale is. You know what your peers make roughly because you are all in the same corporate environment. Uh, and now it's like, well, no, you can make a lot. Like, so it, so it becomes a class thing to Ryan Holiday's point. Like, it's elitist, but it's also lots of questions. So, for example, uh, you don't know, like if you go to a dinner and there's like a digital entrepreneur, maybe there's like a multimedia artist or a dot-com executive, you have no idea how much these people are making. Like it could be all over the place. So it's really turning all of these sort of social, cultural norms totally upside down. And it's, and it's an uncomfortable moment. Yeah, it can be unnerving. Uh, but that's, I mean, you're never going to get successful in life if you're just comfortable all the time. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. I was just reading, it was talking about like, oh, it was, uh, I forget what it was. And his thing was like, you're broke because you want to be, or you're not rich. You're not rich because you want to be. And the writer was pushing back and saying, well, you know, there's all these social pressures and like, you know, generational poverty and all these things. Is that really, is it really just about like pulling up your bootstraps and making a billion dollars? And he was saying really the main thing that keeps people back from being wealthy, you know, moving from the middle class to actual affluence is that people get comfortable. And we live in such a wealthy society. I don't really care if the economy is down. We are still doing pretty freaking good in this country. And so, you know, like maybe you did a little bit better than your parents. You have a little bit nicer home, a little bit more comfort. You don't really have a reason to propel yourself to the next level. And I think that's okay. I feel like it's totally okay. But I see it like going back to my single mom community, it's like these women feel desperate and they are just, you know, they see their lifestyles changing. They see their kids maybe have to move schools or miss out on music lessons or, you know, they're just huge. They're so afraid, but they harness that fear and they build amazing businesses or unbelievable careers that they could not have imagined before. Well, adversity breeds success sometimes, mm. you know, um, and when you're a single mom and you have a lot of pressure on you, uh, you just, it's heads down and you work and you make it happen. I think, uh, in some ways, like you said, it's a silver lining. It absolutely is. Look, it's happening. Whatever mm -hmm. shit the world's throwing your way, like <laughs> embrace it, harness it, turn it into something good. Cause like, what's your other choice? You can say, right. yeah, I mean, crying feels good for a little bit, but <laughs> yeah. after a while, you're just that person who just never leaves the house and party pooper. What is your biggest money mistake? 
I, I assume you have one or two in the closet that you can bring out and share oh, with us. Oh, go back into the archives. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it was? I remember when I was in my early 20s, um, I had a credit card balance. And in hindsight, I think it was like th- around $3,000. And I remember I got it. I had an unpaid internship at CNN. And I just like had no income and I was trying to figure out what I was doing. And I got this $3,000 credit card bill and just whatever stuff. And there was this message out there that like you should never transfer balances like because it was going to like mess up your credit score. And then it was going to like I never got serious about that credit card bill for years, like for years. It just hung around me and I was paying like whatever the big interest was. I, my, and I just like in hindsight, I'm like, what? I wasn't making any money at the time I was working in newspapers. I was probably making like $30,000 a year, but I'm like, it was $3,000. Like the caught the mental anguish that that stupid credit card balance took on me and the financial costs it took. Why didn't I just buckle down and just pay that thing off sooner? It's like, it was so many years ago, but it still annoys me that I didn't take that more seriously. Yes. And because the, what was the interest? I don't think it was terrible. I want to say it was like 12 or something. Like I've always had good credit, but the fact that I didn't just, I kind of didn't deal with it. But as the toll was that I dealt with it in an even bigger way, forget about the money part. It was like the mental thing. Mm -hmm. Like it was just dragging on me. And I really, that's the biggest part about debt. It's not even the money because you could always make more money. It's just like it nags on you. And that's energy that you could be spending on any number of things, including making more money. Absolutely. Okay. Well, speaking of making more money, I Maybe this has something to do with the next question, which is your so money moment, a time in your life when you achieved just, you just were a financial rock star. You exceeded goals. You did something for yourself financially that you're really proud of. Um, well, oh, I could sit here all day long and tell you Farnoosh. Yeah, this is Uh, breakfast. (laughs) Uh, well, I, I, I always say this was, I'll share a couple of things. Uh, years ago, I was still married. And I remember it was like the first of the month. I was like laying in bed one morning and I'm like, oh, it's the first month. And I'm like, oh, the rent check, you know, like the rent was probably like pulled automatically from our account. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't even worry about it. Like there's so much money in there. I didn't have to worry about rent. And I thought, oh, I get it. I get what's so good about having money. It's that you, it's not that you buy stuff. Like I'm not much of a consumer. It's not the stuff that you get. It's the comfort. Like that's why you want to have money. And that always has stayed with me because I've had my ups and downs since then for sure. And when things are comfortable and you feel like you got money in your pocket, it is the best feeling in the world because you're not worrying. So that was a, that was a big moment that I reference often. Um, I think it was really, I, I don't know if it was a money moment, but just that accomplishment of like getting through that really, really rough time in my family and exceeding all of my financial goals. Like I would set a financial goal, like maybe every year, like I want to make X amount every month and I would do it. So it's really like, I started making me believe in the power of intention because that number, just putting that number out there, maybe writing it down, or I would tell a friend or like, you know, set a goal, a tangible financial goal. And I would hit it without killing myself. Like it would, you know, I always have been a hard worker, but it would just come. I was like, it made me really appreciate the, my, my power. Like I have the power to do that and even more. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier when we were talking about how you were at the time when your uh, marriage was ending and, um, you just realized that 
you had to be on your own two feet financially, which was at the same time was also really empowering. You said, I don't really remember what I did, but it just started happening. But maybe you could be a little bit more specific. I'd love to learn about kind of like the first thing that you did amidst that fog, you know, that you were in perhaps just psychologically and emotionally. Like there was clarity at some point. What was the kind of the first thing that you did or realized that was a turning point for you? Well, I think, I mean, I did have a foundation for my business. Um, So I had, you know, big network of clients that I had always maintained good relationships with. So I would just hit the email. Like I would just follow up and be like, Hey, I know I told you I was going on, you know, baby leave, but I'm back. I would love to know what you have to do. Uh, like what kind of work, how can I help you? And I'd get on the phone, have the meetings. It was just hustle. So it was like letting the world know. I mean, I really, I have a spiritual life, you know, and I believe that the energy you put out there, it it goes out there in ways that you don't totally understand. And for me, yeah, there's something tangible, which I call an editor and say, Hey, I want some work, but I was just putting it out to the universe. Like I need some money universe. Like I need this stuff to start coming in. And so I just was like really hitting it. And then I would kind of try to take these relationships to the next step. So like the dream for a freelance writer is always to have their regular income. So for my regular clients that I, you know, knew liked me or whatever, I'd always say, well, can we, I can, sure, I'll do that one assignment, but how about if we do a monthly column or how about if I, you know, put out one of these posts that you like so much every single week. And I'd always negotiate for the most money. Like I'd always go really big and I've had editors be like, man, you have some big balls. Like, I can't believe you asked for that, but guess what? I got it. Like I usually always got it. I always got that rate. So, you know, again, it's like thinking big, working your network, right? Working with people that you like, that like you, and they want to work with you. Like I make their life easier and they, they appreciated that and they were willing to pay for it. Awesome. That's great. That's exactly what I wanted. Because I know <laughs> we've had conversations about this just, you know, on our own about the importance of asking for more. And, you know, we could talk a little bit about this too, is that not being afraid to ask others, what do you make? What do you charge? Yeah, so right. that I can do the same for myself. And I think when you have those conversations one-on-one with people, people are much more willing to share. Well, right. Like it's just basic business. Like you can't, how are you going to price yourself if you don't know what the market is? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. I mean, it's not like we're selling like oil commodities. <laughs> right. Right. Like we're like, a closing bell every day. Yeah. Right. Like just recent, but it's also, it's again, it's relationships. So very recently, um, I was talking, I'm talking to a big bank about doing a big program with them and, you know, in media, it's tough because it is all over. The numbers are all over the place. It's kind of a moment. It's wild west where what fees are. But I knew a colleague of mine had just done a deal with them. And so I just pinged her. I'm like, hey, do you mind sharing what you got for that event? And she just showed me because like, because she, she said, I said, I really appreciate that. That's very helpful. And she goes, no problem. I had problems pricing it myself. And so I asked around yes. and whatever, it just goes around. It comes around. It's so, good. Yeah, a case in point, one of our colleagues, we will not name her name, but she um, got an opportunity, an email from this bank, big bank, that was asking her to do a an event with them. And they offered her X. And she said to me, is this like, what do you think? And, I'll, and so <clears throat> I suggested she added a, add a zero to that. <laughs> and, that and that's what she should counter. And at first they were like, oh, well, I, I, I don't. I don't, I don't know. We'll have to go see about this. You know, we'll have to go ask, uh, the higher ups about this. And they came back and they said, okay. 
I think we're talking about the same person. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, right? And yeah. all you do, words they can say is no. Maybe you meet in the middle. Negotiating is it's not personal. It's just not personal. And if once you accept that, it frees you up to make so much money. Like you just get over it and ask. Yeah, just get over it and ask. I love it. Okay, let's talk financial habits. What's your number one money habit that you do consistently? It doesn't have to be every day, but it is consistent and conscious that helps you with your money. Well, I mint.com needs to start paying me some money because I love them and I suggest everybody uses them. They, it's a free app in case you don't know about it. It's beautiful interface and it just gives you a snapshot of all your money, all your investments, all your debt, credit cards, whatever, everything you got going on money. And they have a great app. And I probably look at that once a day to make sure everything's, you know, everything's cool. There's enough money in the right accounts to meet the bills. There's no weird charges on cards. And it's a very informal thing, but I, it's, it's also just a mental emotional thing because I'm like, it's like, it's color coded, right? Like if you have more in your checking account than you do on your credit cards, it's green. And if it's inverse, it's Mm -hmm. red. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm in the green today. One note of caution though, for some people who use, and maybe you've noticed this and sites like mint is that some big banks are pulling their relationships out. Yeah. But I don't think it's permanent. I think. Okay. I well, I don't know. Who knows? But I think it was because it will destroy like, hey, them. Yeah, it would destroy them. I think it was more like, hey, you guys gotta get your like security, security act together mm-hmm. a little bit here. I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. That yeah, they'll, they'll have to figure it out. Otherwise, I mean, this at this point, if these banks don't return, I mean, Mint and and the their peers will be out of business. Okay, Emma, let's do some so money fill in the blanks. All right, this is okay. the the sort of silly part of the show, but but often very insightful still, where I start a sentence and you finish it. First thing that comes to mind. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> if I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say $100 million, the first thing I would do is? Uh, I would call an expert and get some help. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, good. That's good. That's good. That's good. One thing that makes my life easier or better, one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? Oh, my house cleaner, definitely hands down. Love her. I just upped mine to once a week. Um, oh, yeah. You got to do once a week. <sighs> and does your, mine does my laundry and all oh. my linens. Oh, wow. And she's, she's an artist. Like She actually like takes it upon herself to rearrange the cushions on my couch in different artistic ways. <laughs> You come and, home and the furniture's rearranged. Yeah, your, like your better, like you color. Feng Shui expert. Uh, I wish my lawn. I wish that my cleaning lady would do my laundry. We don't have a laundry machine in our apartment, so she says that it, she stopped doing that for clients because it just got to be too much time. And I get it, but it's been. It's still like the last thing on our chore list that is killing me. Like laundry, we literally spent half a day yesterday sorting laundry. Oh boy! I have, oh yeah, you can, you can't do that or send it out. There's well, services. we send it out, but just sorting it. Oh right, right, right. <laughs> you know, what? I have to just like make an aside here. I was in an event recently, and it was um, women, female entrepreneurs, and uh, there's a handful of them that were being showcased, and they were so amazing. They all had their own interesting business, and they were doing so well. And the audience had an opportunity to ask, and they asked basically the same question: Once you started making money, what is the first thing that you invested in? What did you invest in your business? And almost every single person, every single woman said a house cleaner or help with the kids or a cook. That's not your business. And I was like, as amazing these women were, and I was so proud of them. And 
But who else is going to do that stuff? It's not. It's annoying. It's a total double standard. But who else is going to do those things? Your husband? Well, who's also working? I mean, that's really an, I mean, uh, what's the solution? Yeah, but is that investment in your business? No, it's not. Well, it can be if it's allowing you to have more hours to invest in your business. It's opening up your hours. So depending on how you're using that time. No, I get it. Like, I understand. You're not buying Facebook ads with that money. I get it. But <laughs> but I, 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 I it's it, like, it, yeah, it, this but, bothers I, I, that's me. That's part of our equation. And that's, a, I mean, is it is it that we just embrace that as women, that like part of our business model is housekeeping and childcare? Or is well, it that yeah, we like I get masculize it, it yeah. and say, no, our business is business and house is house? True. I, I, I guess that's a good point because I wouldn't necessarily call my nanny a business. She's not a business expense. You know, she's a household expense, um, household contributor, in fact, um, investment. So, yeah, in that context, that's kind of weird. But I can see where they're thinking it's opening up hours for them to be able to put back into the business. But, you know, to my earlier point, which is that when men start businesses, <laughs> they're not, and, and they're married and they have kids, they're not putting their money towards, I would guess, I'm going to take a big leap of leap here and say they're not putting as much money towards, you know, how their, their instinct isn't, okay, let's put this towards a cleaning lady. <laughs> right. They might be because, but they, that's not part of their, their paradigm. That's not part of their business plan. No. Right. And that, look, it is what it is. And I just can't get enough of my cleaning lady. Right. And she does make my life and I work from home and she comes and cleans my home and all this other stuff. But it's like, what if we redirected that and said, well, that's a foregone conclusion because that's just part of life. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to, I'm going to invest in whatever. I'm going to invest in a personal assistant or I'm going to invest in outsourcing some of my social media or whatever is actually going to free you up professionally. I don't know. I, I, I think it's a mental shift that women we just don't address, like right? Right. we don't, Let's we don't recognize it. it. Yeah. All right. When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is saving consistently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I donate, I like to give to blank because I support a charity in my neighborhood called Our Children, H O U R Children, and it supports mothers who are incarcerated and and coming out of prison. Wow. And they're, yeah, they're actually really becoming big and like nationally recognized. It's really cool. Do you watch Orange is the New Black? Yes. It's It's, for real. Yeah. I I could not, I could not believe the conditions uh, for the woman who was carrying a child. She's going into labor and she's still at the prison. And it wasn't until she was like, having preeclampsia that they're like, maybe we should get you to a hospital. And I was like, is this really, is this true? Is this how they treat expecting moms in prison? I mean, come on. I don't know what her prenatal care was, let alone, you know, the fact that she was delivering and they were basically like, yeah, let us know when you're 10 centimeters and we'll call you an ambulance. Well, that's women giving birth, but then it's like, you know, women who have children, men, I mean, there's so many, right? They have children who are on the outside, they're on the inside, not connecting with their babies. And then the big question, which isn't specific to women or mothers, is like people coming out of prison. They have no resources. So this is a pretty awesome charity, Our Children. and they, Yeah, they have so, like they have housing, job training, uh, social service support to get them hooked into different programs. It's like really re- rehabilitation in a really meaningful way. 
Well, this is Give Back Month at So Money. Um, we're dedicating the uh, podcast to promoting uh, charities, especially the one that I have identified, which is um, THON, which is the uh, dance marathon held at Penn State, which raises money for children uh, who have childhood cancer and their families. Um, all the money goes to the uh, Four Diamonds Fund at, Penn, at Hershey Medical Center. So we will put that and this on the show, on the podcast. So uh, thanks for sharing that with me. I didn't really know that existed. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. They're cool. Yeah, I love that picture of you when you did your dance with time when you were in oh. college with your fanny pack. <laughs> with my fanny pack. And I think I was going on. I, I think I looked, we weren't allowed to wear watches during the dance marathon. So I was constantly asking people and I was always disappointed every time I found out what time it was. I was like, really? It was it's only 20 minutes since I last asked. Uh, yeah, so check out that picture. Um, and last but not least, I'm Emma Johnson. I'm so money, so money because. Uh, I'm so money because it's like I feel so proud of the single moms that I've gotten together. We've really created this huge community of support that does not exist anywhere else. And that's why I'm so money. And you have, we didn't even talk about this, Emma, because we were talking so much about women and money and earning, but you have a fabulous new podcast. So if people want to learn more about you and listen to more about what you have to say and your amazing guests, tell us about Like a Mother. Like a Mother with Emma Johnson on iTunes, or you can find links on my blog, WealthySingleMommy.com. And it's an extension of what I've been doing, which is talking about all things interesting to smart moms talking about, not specific to single moms, but smart moms. We're talking about business, money, sex, entrepreneurship, politics, and it's been awesome. It's a great opportunity to connect with some of my favorite chicks, including for new. She's going to be on very soon. Yes. I am amidst amazing company. We got, you have uh, just some really, really fascinating and opinionated people. I'm going to try to like study up before I go on so I can uh, <laughs> showcase my wildest thoughts and opinions because uh, I know that's what your audience likes. So yeah, I, that's great. Congratulations. I'm all for the podcast. You know oh, that. I love it. I, well, I'm watching you with admiration too. So it's mutual <laughs> love society here. Well, until then, my dear. Well, thank you. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Emma, her website, WealthySingleMommy.com. She's also on Twitter at Johnson Emma. You can grab this episode as well as the transcript and comments at SoMoneyPodcast.com, or you can also click on Ask Farnoosh while you're there and send me your question for the Friday episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Hope you have a great, great Thanksgiving. Tomorrow we will be airing a rerun, but don't worry, we'll be back with more new, fresh episodes after Thanksgiving, including Friday's Ask Farnoosh segment. Thanks again, and hope your day is so money. So Money.